0: Welcome to Theology for the People. Today I've got a special episode for you. It is an interview that I recorded with my friend Aaron Salvato, in which he's actually interviewing me about my recent book that came out, The God I Won't Believe in, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. Now Aaron is the uh, creator and the director of the Good Lion Podcast Network. So if you like this podcast, there's a bunch of other podcasts out there by similar creators uh, on various topics related to Christianity, ministry, living the Christian life, things like that. And you can find that over at goodlion.io, goodlion.io, and Aaron is also the content and media director, creator, curator for Calvary Global Network. And so he's, you know, in charge of all the stuff that goes on over at calvarychapel.com as well as on a bunch of different platforms that that are run by and overseen by Calvary Global Network, creating a ton of good content for you to benefit from. So I would really encourage you, get over there and check out what Aaron is doing. In this episode, he had looked at the list of topics for my book, You know The Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. By the way, if you're looking for a list of those, you can find them on my website, nickkd.org. And if you go there, there's a tab that says book. If you click on that tab, you can get a list of all the chapters of my book and the topics that I cover, everything from did God really condone genocide in the Old Testament? Does God in the Bible actually encourage the suppression of women and minorities? Things like these. And so the one that Aaron had really that popped out to him when he just looked at that list was the issue of Christians and hypocrisy. Like, so should we believe in? How can we believe in a God who creates hypocritical and even in some cases hateful followers? And so in this discussion coming up, we discuss that. Aaron interviews me, asks me some questions. We get into all kinds of very important topics about this and some of the stuff's covered in my book, but some of it's not. And so I think you'll really benefit from this. And if you haven't yet had a chance to check out my book, I would love it if you would just check it out on Amazon. There will be a link for the show notes and you are link to it in the show notes and you can go and check it out there. You can also check it out on my website again org. Hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I'll be back at the end with some closing thoughts.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvado and I'm here with my friend Nick Katie. How's it going, Nick? Hey Aaron, going well? Good to be here. Good to have you, man. This is your first time on this show, and so I am very happy for that. It's an honor. I'm excited. <laughs> awesome, man. I have known you for years throughout the Calvary Chapel circles. Uh, you've been a friend. I've visited you in Colorado. You and my dad go way back. Calvary Vista missions work. It's a blessing to have you here and I am stoked. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and who you are and, and also about your new book that yeah. is coming out.
0: Yeah so Aaron before I do that let me just remind you you also visited me once in Hungary and I don't know if you remember. Yeah. You did. Yeah, I was and, uh, like 10. No you were older than that. You were and you no. had you were in your big hair phase. Uh, oh. the Afro. I liked that phase. That was a good phase.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do i yeah i you may not know this people listening but i literally will grow it starts out as like a little orphan annie afro but if i let it grow which i did when i was 16 it turns into just like a full-blown 1970s like i had a pick i had an afro pick it was a quality afro but (laughs) that aside
0: i'll just say yeah about myself i grew up in colorado i grew up lutheran became a born-again believer when I was 16. I ended up in a church, which turned out to be a Calvary Chapel. It wasn't called Calvary Chapel, but it was affiliated with Calvary. And
1: it was one of those sneaky
0: covert Calvary chapels. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so I I actually literally, I went there for like two years before I learned that they they were part of a bigger group of churches. And I learned that when I went with them to Hungary one time. So I got invited to go to Hungary, to be at a conference where the assistant pastor for my church, Pete Nelson was speaking. And uh, Pete mm-hmm. was a good friend of mine. as still is. And so we uh, went over together and I spoke at this, con- or he spoke at the conference. I just met people and I saw what was going on with Calvary Chapel and what they were doing. And I was like, this is, this is like the book of Acts. And I, I want to be part of this is planting churches and using the church as this space for discipleship and evangelism and planting more churches. And it was so exciting. So I went over there with the idea that I I wanted to support what was going on and what God was doing, but I didn't really have any uh, skills or uh, resources to offer anybody except my time, and so I said, hey, I'll just go over and serve, and there was this church in Debritson. They had some some specific needs that they wanted help with in regard to youth ministry and a big uh, summer outreach and some student ministry and refugee stuff, so I went over there with the idea to stay for eight months. I ended up staying for 10 years. (laughs) Not, Not in that city. We stayed in that city for a little bit got married and uh, moved up to Northern Hungary, planted two churches there. And then eventually came the time when we, you know, our goal in doing that mission was to hand over those, ch- raise up local leaders and hand over the churches to them. So mm. we raised up leaders in the church, people who even got saved in our church there in Eger, which was amazing. That was kind of part of our vision, was that hopefully that would happen. That was our prayer. And thankfully yeah. it did happen. And we were able to hand over those churches. And at that time, we were praying about where to go next. And I was invited to come and take over the lead pastor position of the church here in Colorado called Whitefields Community Church. And so Mm. as of this month, it'll be, well, I guess actually April 1st will be 10 years that I've been here in Longmont, which Mm. on the one hand... I feel like that's amazing. On the other hand, it makes me kind of sad that I've been away from Hungary for 10 years, but mm. I have mm. been, yeah, I was in Hungary for a total of 10 years, and now I've been here for a total of 10 years. No, no plans to leave here because I love what God's doing, and it's, it's exciting, and thankfully the church is so supportive of me. I still get to be very involved in Hungary and in Eastern Europe. And so uh, they're also Mm. they've also been very supportive of some of my endeavors outside of the church, which has been I've been pursuing academics for a while. Mm. I started Mm. in Hungary. I started getting my bachelor's degree and I I was doing it at a really slow pace. So like uh, is it I think it's Tommy boy where there's this line where he goes, (laughs) lots of people go to college for seven years. And he goes, yeah, they're called doctors. <laughs> well, that was me. I literally got my bachelor's degree. I think it took me seven or eight years. Uh, some people would mm-hmm. have been doctors, but I, I was doing other stuff at the same time. So I was right. taking like a half rate sometimes, sometimes even took a quarter rate, but I eventually got my bachelor's mm-hmm. degree. And then nice. after that, I waited a few years and I got my master's degree and both of those I did in the UK. So I got my bachelor's in the University of Gloucestershire, which is in the west of England near Mm. Bristol in the city of Gloucester and then I got my master's degree at London School of Theology in the north of London and got that in 2020 and you know part of the reason for pursuing my master's was because I wanted to get into writing. Now Mm. uh, initially I assumed that that writing would be taking the form of uh, academic writing and I I certainly actually hope to pursue that further. I do plan to go further with my education as well. And I could, mm. I would love to write really more academic stuff, but I guess my my thought and even what what I do with my website and stuff, I try to bring the academic conversations into every man terms.
1: Yes, and you do a
0: great job with that, man. I appreciate that. Thanks.
1: Yeah, and on that note, Nick has a podcast uh, here on the Good Lion Podcast Network called Theology for the People. It's very good. It's very much uh, for people who enjoy this show. You'll probably enjoy Nick's show even more because he does what we try to do, I think, better. So, um, yeah, check out his show. It's really, really good. Oh, thanks, Aaron. That's nice to you.
0: Yeah, and I've really enjoyed that podcast. Initially, I started out wanting to do it as kind of like short... Things like uh, things I had written articles about for my blog, which has been going for years. My, you know, I do a call-in radio show, and on that show, I get a lot of questions. And so, what I've started doing mm-hmm. is a lot of the recurring questions, or questions that I think are pretty, pretty good questions. I'll take them and I'll write a short article so I have a resource that I can send out to people in the future. And also, I know that people are googling and they're searching online for things, and so right. I wanted to create a resource. So I've got you know several hundred articles now at this point that I've written. And thankfully, those have done what I hope they would do, which is just kind of they're evergreen and they keep getting a lot of hits online. So with that, you know, I I've been thinking when I started the podcast that I would do more of just almost just reading those articles, you Mm -hmm. know, in a somewhat dramatic way for for a (laughs) podcast format. And then I I realized that actually the episodes that I was getting the most traction on and the most listens to were a little bit longer form interview style ones that I would do either with people interviewing me or with me interviewing other people. And so we've more or less shifted to that. I'm not done with the short format, but more or less we've shifted to these kind of bigger conversations.
1: Yeah yeah well this is content that we feel like is helpful for people we totally want to talk about it so that's where i'm at with your book when i saw just the name of it uh, the god (laughs) the god i won't believe in uh, that title caught me because that's where so many people are at right now they struggle with the idea of the christian god and for many of them it's like i don't know if i can believe in this god And then looking through your topics in the book, yeah, I was just struck. And I was like, this is something where possibly I'd love to have Nick on for several episodes to go through some of these ideas. Maybe just very briefly, can you just explain the book? And then we'll get into the meat of the episode after that.
0: Yeah. So the book was born actually out of uh, conviction that we as Christians need to be addressing the things that people are actually asking. Like I think sometimes yes. we assume that people are asking certain questions and that's not actually what they're asking. The, the other yeah. thing is that we'll, we'll have these conversations. Like if you could just imagine like a group of let's say 10 people all turn towards one another in a circle, in the middle of a city, and yet around them all these things are happening, all these conversations are going on, and they're just having this little insular conversation that's ignoring, you know, what people are actually talking about. And I thought, you know, sometimes that's that can be what Christianity's like. You know, we're over here having our conversation about whatever secondary doctrinal position we want to argue to the death. <laughs> when the world's just asking completely different questions. So let's make sure that we're actually engaging people. And let's, let's just be honest. Let's not be afraid to, to a- answer the most difficult questions they have. So mm. to that end, what we did is, in, I got this idea actually from a guy named Mark Clark in Vancouver, British Columbia. I heard him on a podcast and he was talking about how he had done this and, and kind of advocating for the idea of doing apologetic type series in your church services. And I thought Mm. that's actually a really interesting idea. I've always liked that. I do the radio show, which is very much in that line. And, Mm. and I, I think also I do understand the word apologetics and what it means and the idea but I think that sometimes the idea of defending the faith and, mm. you know, sometimes people put up like a guy in like armor, like I'm going to defend Christianity. I think right. that a lot of times that's not what's needed is a, you know, position that says I'm being attacked and I need to defend right. myself.
1: It, it's, it's this posture of defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the goal usually is to be defensive and to say, you know, Christians are under attack Non-Christians are the enemy, and so we must destroy the enemy with facts and logic. And and there's good to that because, yeah, I think that as a Christian, we are under attack by the enemy, right, mm-hmm. by Satan. But I think that a lot of times what gets lost in the shuffle is we forget what we're fighting for, mm-hmm. and it's for souls. It's to help people who are not the enemy but they're victims of the true enemy they're in bondage to satan under you know false ideologies and lies and so the goal isn't to destroy the people who believe the wrong things it's actually to help free them Mm -hmm. and so i think yeah i think that that's uh, a big heart that i see in your book is to treat the people who are struggling with these issues in a way that's kind and, and and through that kindness the the hope is to lead them to truth
0: it reminds me of Jude 22, right? Where Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. And mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. So I, I agree. I think there are different kinds of doubters, right? There's a difference between a scoffer and a sincere questioner. Yeah. And maybe somebody who thinks that they have these things, you know, they think that they, they know something. But maybe if they had a little more information, that would that would change things for them. And so one of mm-hmm. the best advices I ever got on the topic of writing and content creation was this person said always ask the question is this helpful because if you're seeking to help people you'll always have an audience and so Mm. i've i've taken that posture and it's the posture of the book which is hey i want to help you and you know maybe i know some things or i could suggest some some ideas that you aren't familiar with and maybe that could help you to overcome whatever barrier it is that's keeping you from embracing Christianity. So that's the subtitle of the book. So the title is The God I Won't Believe In. Subtitle is Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. And the way we got those nine common barriers is that we did a poll online. And thankfully, because I have the access to the radio show, you know, we, we are able to contact a lot of people. And so what we said is, Hey, we're setting up an anonymous Google form online mm. and we want you to share it with everybody. You know, it's completely anonymous. <laughs> we are not trying to like, you know, this isn't something where we're trying to like weed out who believes and who doesn't.
1: That, that's how I always did a Q and a stuff for youth ministry. It was like, here's an anonymous question link. And they really engage with that because no one wants to look stupid. No one wants to be made fun of for not knowing the answer or no one wants their youth pastor <laughs> to know some of their deep, dark questions on things. So, yeah, I get it.
0: Yeah, I have filled out anonymous questionnaires before, too. And I've like carefully looked to make sure there was no way it could ever be <laughs> traced back to me. So that's what I did for this, because I, I didn't want to know names. I just wanted to know, you know, create this kind of da- data, you know, dump of, of like who struggles mm-hmm. with what. And so we put it out there and we put it out to everybody on the radio. We asked everyone we knew to share it and, you know, we got several hundred responses and those, yeah, those responses, generally we were able to put them into about, you know, nine buckets or so originally we we intended this to be seven. We had thinking that we were going to have seven. We added two. And ended up being nine. So, you know, the nice part was that we had, you know, you could, it was multiple choice. So you could tick as many boxes as you wanted. And then you could also add your own. So that was how we ended up adding more was that we saw, okay, well, this issue isn't really something that people struggle with as much as we maybe thought it was. But it turns out we got a lot of, you know, responses where people could write in where they said specific things that we really responding to. And so mm. we, we appreciated people giving us their honest feedback. We got a lot of it. And so from that, we were able to create what we saw as, you know, if this sample size is true, then at least within our group of people who were responding, these were the things that they struggled with. And here's, here's what I thought was most interesting. These are not just people who are not Christians. Many of these are people who are Christians, and mm. yet they yeah. are struggling right? They're saying, I want, I still consider myself a Christian, but if I'm really honest with you, here's the (laughs) thing that I, I really struggle with.
1: Yep. Yep. That's huge right now. That is going on a ton and I have nothing but compassion for Christians who are struggling with those things because at the end of the day, I want to see people continue to follow Jesus despite those doubts. I look at Thomas and, you know, doubting Thomas, he gets that name And I just love the response of Jesus because, you know, Thomas is like, I have, I have to have proof. I have to have these things explained to me. I need to actually see, you know, the holes in his hands. And Jesus's response isn't to go, you stupid idiot doubter. How dare you? Like, wasn't seeing me walk on water enough. What is wrong with you? But Jesus actually accommodates Thomas's doubt and steps into a space where he's revealing himself. And so, I think these kind of conversations these kind of books is a way that god can work through the things that we're doing to help show people the holes in his hands so that's that's what i i love about your book and and i think that's what we want to get into with this next topic here great all right So I'm here with Nick Katie on The Good Lion Podcast, and we are talking about Nick's book, The God Who I Won't Believe In. And specifically today, we're going to talk about a chapter he wrote about hypocrisy. I saw that chapter and it just jumped out to me and I was like, we've got to talk about this. So Nick, dude, why did you write a chapter about hypocrisy?
0: well because as we were doing our poll and trying to find out what are the biggest issues of course this was such a big one you know that mm. there were many other issues in fact i think if i remember correctly this was the one that we got the most response on like people mm. said this is the biggest issue for me and so each chapter mm. begins with the idea of i could never believe in a god who and then we fill mm. in the blank and in this case it's the God I won't believe in is a God who creates hateful, hypocritical followers.
1: Yeah, that's that's a huge problem. So this is something that's near and dear to my heart. I, I've I've got this little group I'm a part of, and it's filled with people I know who either it's, it's people that I, I was friends with back when I was like in high school, you know, 14, 15. It's actually all people I met on the Internet, which my parents wouldn't have been thrilled about knowing that when I was 14, I was making all these friends on the Internet. But it was a different time. But a lot of them were formerly Christians, but had bad experiences with the church. And are, it, pretty much everyone in that group now is either atheistic or agnostic. I'm, I'm like the last holdout mm. of Christianity in that group. And I, I did a conversation with them in there and just asked like, Hey, what's your, what's your perception of Christianity? I'm just curious. You guys know I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a pastor. I want to hear from you. And pretty much everyone in the group was like, yeah, Christians are hateful, hypocritical, judgmental. All they care about is being right. All they care about is winning arguments. All they care about is their politics. They don't actually love any, anyone outside mm-hmm. of their circle and they fight so much within their circle that it, it's to us, it looks like they don't even love their fellow Christians. Mm-hmm. So that is heartbreaking to me to see that perception. But I know it's a common one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not wrong. My son, my four, I have a son who's 14, and I handed him a copy of the book once I got a hard copy. And we were in the car and I said, hey, you know, flip open to the table of contents and tell me if any of these topics that are listed here are of interest to you. And he said, oh, this Mm -hmm. is the first one he picked out that, you know, a God who creates hateful, hypocritical followers. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is in his experience, he hasn't actually experienced that, you know, by God's grace. He's been in an environment where that hasn't been his primary experience of Christians But, you know, he's online as well, just like everybody else. And he hears the stories, even if he hears them secondhand. And it's definitely part of, you know, the narrative that he understands is that a lot of Christians out there and he would say, you know, maybe not the people that I know personally, but he knows that the perception of Christians in the world is that they they hate gays and they hate who people who disagree with them politically and they hate each other mm-hmm. as you mentioned and <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. you know for people who are supposed to be known by their love for one another unfortunately we're often known at least publicly in many people's eyes by the opposite
1: yeah Yeah, it's interesting. The scriptures have Jesus telling his disciples, the way that you will be known is by your love. And specifically, he says your love for one another. And every time I'm on Christian social media, I'm just like, it does not look like we love one another Mm -hmm. at all. This is a quote that I pulled from your book. You were quoting somebody else. I, I failed to write down who it was. Maybe you can tell us, but it's a good quote. It's the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I thought that was really heavy. Yeah, it's
0: from Brennan Manning. So, yeah. yeah, that was his quote. And actually, if, that shows your age, Aaron, because if you were around in the 90s, uh, DC Talk included that line in one of their songs. <laughs> it's actually... I remember DC well, Talk.
1: I wasn't a huge fan. I but, remember uh, him too, but this is like... Jesus freak. Yeah, you know? and
0: so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually... I'm I'm too young for that myself, but I, it's funny because <laughs> I've mentioned this quote to people who are slightly older than me, and they're like, "Oh yeah, DC Talk, Brendan Manning."
1: Wait, you're too old for DC Talk. How old is DC Talk? Oh, dude, is they've DC been Talk around. like eighty? <laughs> How old are those guys? <laughs> How old is Toby Mac? Let's go back to the topic of hypocrisy because we you know we've acknowledged that this is something that is very commonly pointed out by non Christians, and it's something non Christians struggle with. And I would say. As a former youth pastor, what I'm noticing is that a lot of kids that are in the age range of my former youth group students, so they grew up in church, they grew up in youth group, and now they're in their early 20s. I'm seeing this running thread where they're wrestling with this perception of hypocrisy by the culture of Christians where it's it's uncomfortable to them to be a Christian. It's uncomfortable for them to admit that they are Christian or to represent themselves as Christians because they feel the weight of this hypocritical perception, you know? And so for them, it's almost like, I just want to seem like a good person. I want to seem like a moral person, but I don't want to even admit that I'm a Christian because everybody just, as soon as you say you're a Christian, it's like, oh, so you're this judgmental, self-righteous hypocrite. So I, I think to, to you, I would ask, why did you find this so important? And, and as a pastor, you know, what are ways that you have dealt with this issue of hypocrisy?
0: Yeah, I'll just start by telling you a little story. I have a daughter who's uh, 12, and so my kids go to public school, and, you know, I don't think they—no, they do have one or two Christian friends at their school, but very, very few— and so one day my daughter was talking to me and she asked me, you know, dad, why do Christians hate gays? And I'm like, wait a second. Mm. Since when do you think that? Like, what what makes you think that? And she said, well, that's what all my friends tell me when I tell them I go to church. That This is mm. why they don't like Christians is because Christians are hateful. This is literally the mm. first thing that comes to their mind when they think about Christians, that Christians are not old fashioned or, you know, things like that. They actually think that we are immoral because Hmm. we are unkind and, and so, you know, hateful, that's the whole thing. And so, you know, there's this study done by Barna Research back in 2007. So that's a while ago now, but they found in their study, which had a much bigger sample size than mine. Same exact thing. Number one reason was not evidential reasons for people rejecting Christianity, meaning like they have an issue with like the science part or they have an issue with the reliability of the Bible, but it was for personal reasons, having been hurt Mm. by Christians, judged by Christians, having had bad experiences. So this is something that we need to talk about because whether people articulate it or not, and many of them do, this this is what people feel. And so we need to talk about this. And I'll just tell you one more story. And this is a story I start the chapter with that a few years ago when I lived in Hungary, came back to the U S to attend a friend's wedding. And my friend is, is somebody I went to high school with, and he's not a Christian. He knows that I'm a Christian. And one of the points of contention uh, that he had towards me was the same thing. He said, you guys who are Christians, you hate gays. And I'm like, Hey, please mm-hmm. don't say that I hate gays because I don't. <laughs> I- and so, you know, I come to his wedding And he seats me at this table and at the table, there are a lot of other single men. And, you know, obviously I'm there alone. So it would make sense that I would be seated at a table with other single people. But as we get into conversation, they ask me, you know, what do you do? Where do you live? It comes up that I'm a pastor. And as soon as they found out that I was a pastor, they made a point of telling me right away that they were gay. And they they did it in such a way (laughs) that they looked me in the eye to see Mm. how I would react would my demeanor change? <laughs> would I stop being friendly? Right. They had assumptions about how Christians are, and they assume that people that Christians don't like people like them, if you will. And, and so yeah. same thing. They assume Christians talk a lot about loving people, but when it comes to actually loving people, Christians are not loving. And so they went yeah. on to tell me a story about Um, A pastor that they had known, very prominent pastor here in Colorado, who had gotten involved in buying drugs and visiting male prostitutes and had gotten busted for doing this. And actually the male prostitute that he was visiting was a friend of theirs, part of their community there in Denver. And so in their Mm, opinion, this is like, this is the problem with Christianity. And this is not Mm. just like a one-off thing. This is endemic of Christianity. Christians are judgmental. And in their judgmentalism, they are hypocritical.
1: That is quite the common perception. And I think there's a reason for it. I think that it's one of those things where I hear hear from sort of the more fundamentalist side of Christianity, where it's like we are just standing up for truth. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by that is... We should be able to say something is sin and say it harshly and firmly and not care who it hurts. And they they look at, you know, maybe you or me where we would say, yes, like we will say that something is sin. But we we need to bend over backwards to help communicate to those who struggle with these sins that they're loved and that there's mercy, there's grace, there's redemption found in Jesus. I've seen so many people struggle with this. And they would look at at us as pastors and just assume that we're filled with hate towards those who struggle with these kinds of sin and for me it's like this is why it is so important for us to bend over backwards to show love not to say like let's just accept everything and there is no sin I think that God does have biblical standards and and there is such a thing as sin there is such a thing as sexual sin but you know one thing that I've seen over the past couple years, or honestly, really ever since I was a young kid, is Christian culture hyper-fixates on homosexuality, and what they don't do is give the same equal attention to other sexual sins. And I've actually been, like, <laughs> talking to groups of young Christians where... <laughs> They're talking about homosexuality as if it is the worst thing. And anybody who is involved in that is the scum of the earth. But I'm like, I'm listening to them. I'm like, okay, this guy's saying that like, I know he's dealing with porn. Like we've talked about it, you know, and and they're sleeping together. You know, it's a straight couple and they're, they're, you know, they're living together and they're, but they're Christians. And yet they are treating somebody who struggles with homosexuality like they're the scum of the earth. And to me, it just shows this imbalance where as Christians, we have this sexual ethic, right? But we we aren't consistent with it. We aren't consistent. I mean, think about like divorce. That's something that, you know, the Bible clearly says is wrong. And yet it's so commonplace now that no one really bats an eye at it. And I'm not saying that we need to like go fundamentalist on all sexual sins and just start shaming everybody, you know, equal opportunity shaming. What I'm saying is that when you look at the model of Jesus, I mean when we're talking about sexual brokenness, go right to who was Jesus dealing with in his time? Prostitutes. He was dealing with like the epitome of sexual brokenness. People who for whatever reason in their time felt motivated for different reasons to abuse their bodies and their sexuality in the name of financial gain or they're being forced into it and abused by somebody else. It's, it, and Jesus was coming to people in the midst of their sexual brokenness and providing them mercy and hope and, and befriending those struggling with sexual sin.
0: I think that it's not just about the homosexuality issue. I would uh, say that there, you, what you're pointing out is something important, that in some, some forms of Christian culture or evangelical culture, there can be this idea that you are some sort of hero if you say something crassly that is yeah. that it may be true you know, but the idea is that you're you're like a you're going against the politically what is that called political PC yeah, political correctness thing. You're reacting against that, and so you're going to do the opposite, and you're going to be some kind of hero who says something that's not popular. And, and then you can pat yourself on the back. The problem is that you're, you're dealing <laughs> yeah. with actual people. So you need to think yes. who your audience is. If, you're, if your goal is to be heard by those who already agree with you and have them pat yes. you on the back, then yeah, that, that will accomplish that if you say something in a harsh way. But if your actual goal is to reach people who are um, living in sin and brokenness then we want to we want to speak with dignity respect and love even if we and and i do believe that we, we we should not be changing what the bible says or what the bible teaches we should hold to our convictions our ethics our beliefs and yet do so in a with a tone of kindness and so that, yes. that's what it comes down to. And here's, here's where this hatefulness and hypocrisy matters and why people, you might say, well, why would somebody turn away from Christianity just because of the bad behavior of a few people? But consistently throughout history, that is literally what people said. I'm, I'm looking at a quote from Frederick Nietzsche, and he says, I will believe in their Redeemer when Christians look a little more like the redeemed. Now, keep in mind mm. that he was the son of a Lutheran pastor, right? So he, mm. he went to church. Now, here's, here's the issue. We live in an age when many people believe that if something is true, then it will work. Does that make sense? Mm. And therefore, if yes. something doesn't work then it must not be true. Mm -hmm. Now, I said that phrase to my daughter uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking and she said, of course, that that seems so self-evident. That seems like, of course, that's true. If something's true, it will work. And if something doesn't work, it must not be true. And then I gave her a few examples of how that's not always the case. So, for Mm -hmm. example, is Christianity true? even though some people who claim to be Christians behave badly. That's really the big question. And, you know, one day the Bible says we are all going to stand before God and we are going to have to give an account for what we did with the person of Jesus, the Savior who was provided mm. for us. And on that mm. day, this is really a big question. Are you going to say to God, Well, I would have believed, but there was these there were these people who did these things and had these attitudes and therefore I chose not to believe in and follow Jesus. Mm. But the question wasn't what those people did with Jesus. The question is, what did you do with Jesus? And so this is really something we do need to differentiate. And and I think this is logical. But again, most many times these discussions are much more emotive than they are logical. And so yeah. if we are to just step away for a second and just ask logically, you understand that just because some people do things wrong doesn't mean that Christianity is either true or untrue, right? And so we need to look at Christianity on its own. Now, that that aside, there's obviously more to this conversation, but I think that that's an important point.
1: have to judge a belief system based on what it says what it's about go to the source go to the writings like if like for instance if if we're talking about the the concept of marriage the institution of marriage you know and and someone explains it to you like this is what marriage is supposed to be and then you meet a really dysfunctional married couple Mm just because they exist does not mean that the concept of marriage in itself is flawed or bad you're just meeting somebody who is executing it incorrectly and this is why this topic is so important to me i've had people say before like why, why are you why are you pointing out hypocrisy in the church why are you making a big deal about it uh, isn't that just giving more ammo to the critics of christianity But to me, to hide hypocrisy, Mm -hmm. to sweep it under the rug, to act like it's not a big deal, to make justifications, to become an apologist for defending Christianity instead of just being real and saying, hey, Jesus is the standard, but so many of us do not meet that standard. You know, I I just think it's massively important. And going back to the idea of sexuality, I, I think, you know, I was listening to some young men that I know, discuss you know their struggle with same-sex attraction and it was interesting because i heard one kid and we were discussing this a young guy and he was like yeah i went to this one church and the pastor was preaching on homosexuality and the way he preached it in his sermon was basically to make it was it was like he did not think anybody in the room at his church possibly could struggle with Mm -hmm. it and, and he just assumed that everybody in his church was on the straight and narrow. And so the way he talked about that struggle was everybody who struggles with it is outside these walls and they're sick, they're demented, they're twisted, they're reprobate, all this stuff. And th- for the young man struggling with it, who, by the way, is a Christian who's trying to walk uh, a life of celibacy in obedience to Jesus. But he just said the way that he felt was there's no hope for me. I'm trash. I can never be forgiven. I can never be redeemed. And, and I'm hopeless. And then I was discussing this with another young man and he said, yeah, I I went to a church and the pastor got up and there was the, he was preaching through the Bible. The text he was addressing was talking about homosexuality. And instead of harping on homosexuality throughout the entire sermon and just beating people, he started by just confessing his own sexual sin and confessing his struggle with pornography actually, and the way that God had brought him through that and, and just, just describing his own sexual brokenness. And the tone of the sermon was so different because he was setting the stage to basically be like, yeah, I'm a Christian and I can preach on this, but if I just bash everybody, I'm a hypocrite. I have to be honest, I struggle with sexual brokenness. We all do. And it was such an enlightening sermon for that young man that made him feel like there was hope, like there was light at the end of the tunnel and there was other people that struggled and that he wasn't the worst of the worst. Yes, yes, he was wrong, but he was surrounded by other wrong, broken people who were finding the path to rightness through Jesus, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, to the person who says, why bring up hypocrisy in the church? I would say, well, actually, you know, the Bible addresses this. Here's a good example. In 1 Peter 2, verse 1, here's what Peter says. So put away all malice, all deceit Mm -hmm. and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Who Mm. is he writing to? Is he writing to people who are not Christians, who are behaving badly? No, he is (laughs) writing to Christians. He says that in chapter one, he is writing to Christians throughout the Roman empire Mm. who are experiencing persecution. He's telling them how to live in these days as followers of Jesus. And so he's writing to Christians and telling them, stop being hypocritical. But then he tells them how to stop being hypocritical, which is also helpful. He doesn't just tell us, don't do this. He says, here's what to do. He says in the next verse, instead like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up Mm. into salvation. He's saying, hey, get into the scriptures, get into the word of God and seek to mature rather than, you know, basically stop doing these things and instead immerse yourself in God's word and seek to grow in him. And mm-hmm. you know, if you look at who Jesus really, and there were times when Jesus was not politically correct, when times when Jesus really went off on right. people, but you know what? Look at the people he went off on. The, the group he went off on was the scribes and the Pharisees, who he mm-hmm. identifies as hypocrites. He says, you right. have tons of grace for yourselves, but <laughs> you don't have tons of grace for other people. And uh, Jesus, here's what he said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in other people's faces. Neither you yourselves enter in, nor will you allow others to enter in. That's Matthew 23, verse 13. And so Jesus took it very, very seriously. And one more thing I would say on this topic of hypocrisy is that we must understand, okay, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrite Mm. comes from the Greek word hypokrites, which simply means an actor, someone who would wear a mask. In other words, what does an actor Mm. do? You pretend to be someone you are not. Now, there are two Mm. kinds of hypocrites, uh, I would say. I'd say, number one, you have people who call themselves Christians, but they are not actually Christians. And then Mm. I would say, number two, you have true disciples of Jesus who sometimes fall short of the standard that Jesus called them to. Of what Jesus called mm. them to do and be. So let's talk about the first one. Not everybody who goes to church, not everybody who identifies as a Christian is actually a Christian. The verse that mm. God used in my life through a friend to call me to repentance and to realize this, that I thought I was a Christian when in fact I was not, is the verse uh, from Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Basically, Jesus is saying that same thing. Not every person who thinks that they are right with God is actually right with God. And so Hmm. the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves, make sure we are really in the faith. That's good. So that's the one hand. The other part is, what about those who are Christians and are not living up to the standard of a Christian? Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's not surprising. And let me tell you why, but what is Jesus' standard? Jesus' standard is literally be perfect. And sometimes people <laughs> are like, well, Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect. I'm like, no, actually, have you read the Bible? Cause it says that literally this is, I'll right. read it to you. Matthew five, verse 48, the sermon on the Mount, the most famous part of Jesus' teaching. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So that's the standard perfection, right? And I'll tell you this, one way to not be a hypocrite is to have no standards. But anytime you introduce a standard, you will end up being a hypocrite because if you set right. that standard, there are probably going to be times when you don't live up to it. One more thought and then I'll, I'll pass it back to you. But Francis Schaeffer has a really great in- illustration on this point point. And Francis Schaeffer, of course, you know, he was speaking, he was in Switzerland and he was working with students, mostly young people, and answering their questions and really trying to help them come to understand Christianity. And one of the things that Francis Schaeffer said at one point is he said this, imagine if you will, that every person in the world is wearing a recording device around their neck and this hypothetical device would record anytime you said a sentence that began with should or ought to that device would turn on and start recording. And so it would record, in other words, the moral standards to which you mm. believe people should be held, right? So maybe you would say, people should be kind. Well, we've been saying mm. that during this podcast. People should be um, accepting, right? People should be loving, etc. cetera. We could go on, right? You should be loyal, you should be truthful, etc. Now, imagine he said that on judgment day, God takes that device and he says, you know what? I'm going to be really generous with you. I'm not going to judge you by my standards, by the 10 commandments. I'm not even going to judge you by the standards of any religion. I am only going to judge you by your own standards of what you said, how people ought to live. And Francis Schaeffer says, if you're really honest, you have to admit that if that were to happen, none of us would pass that test because we all have Mm. some moral standard that we believe that people and including ourselves ought to live up to. And none of us have lived up to that
1: standard perfectly. Mm. And so this is something we need to all realize. That's good. I love that Schaeffer quote. And it's so true. I mean, it goes right back to what scripture says. There is none righteous not one you know to be righteous is to be in right relationship with god and others you know, very briefly, just, just, I'm just thinking of any listener listening who maybe, you know, isn't thinking the way that we are as pastors about this verse. But when you brought up the standard that Jesus lays out, you know, you must be perfect as I am perfect, as my father is perfect. How would you explain to someone who would ask like, wait, I can't do that. Like, that's impossible. Perfection is literally for a human (laughs) impossible. Like anytime I've tried to be perfect, I've, I've failed. How would you explain that?
0: Oh man, I would say that I am in the same boat with you. Like that's kind Mm -hmm. of the whole point. And, and you know, what's so interesting, Jesus's most famous words that he ever spoke. Like if you were to ask people, what do you know about the teachings of Jesus? Most of what they'll tell you comes from what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the gospel of Matthew chapters five to seven. And in that Jesus, you know, says a lot of things, but the very first part, I think people know it, but they don't understand it. So Jesus says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those mm-hmm. who mourn. Blessed are you when others revile you." What is he? What is he saying? I mean, that that word "blessed" there, it literally means happy in the original text. Mm-hmm. So happy are you who mourn? How is that? Isn't that actually like the opposite of being happy? Uh, is mourning? Mm-hmm. Well, what Jesus is saying is he's giving us a pathway to happiness and here's what's so brilliant about this passage in other words blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you who mourn you could think of these as stepping stones that lead you somewhere if you follow these Mm. steps they lead you to happiness and truly Mm. blessedness and so the first one is poor in spirit what does it mean to be poor in spirit well, it literally means to be humble before God. It, you could put it this way. It means to admit that you are bankrupt, right? And that mm. you have nothing to put on the table before God that would make him accept you, that would make him you know, say, oh yeah, you've really done a lot. And now I'm going to bless you <laughs> or accept you. You're saying, mm. I am poor in spirit. And Jesus says, this is the first step to happiness, admitting that you are poor in spirit for yours will be the kingdom of heaven in that case what that means is this mm. the truest form of christianity is not saying i'm a right person because i do the right things the truest form of christianity the jesus form of christianity the, the things that he taught if you take him at his words are we have all failed to live up to the standard and that's that's kind of the point there in the sermon on the mount where jesus says be perfect he's saying here's a standard not a single one of you has ever lived up to this. And so the only way to be right with God, the only way to be truly blessed, truly happy is to admit it. And then next step to weep over it, to mourn the fact that you have sinned, right? Admit that you've sinned, weep over Mm -hmm. it, and then hunger and thirst for righteousness. But here's the thing that has to be a righteousness that comes from outside of us because we've already established that we don't have any of our own. So how do we get that? It's given to us as a gift from God. That's literally what the word grace means, a gift. Mm. And so that, that would mm. be the truest form of Christianity, not to, not to pat ourselves on the back for being better than other people, just the exact opposite of saying, I have yeah. literally nothing. I have fallen short of God's standard, but God has offered me an incredible gift in Jesus and I want to receive it. Right.
1: Yeah. The, the way that I've understood it just in my own learning has been, you know, when Jesus says be perfect, he knows that it's impossible for humans. Like he's not, he's not saying it because he actually thinks we can achieve it. And he's not even talking about perfection as an achievable status, but he's linking it to this reality that he knows that The only way for us humans to have any semblance of perfection or status of perfection is through, is through him. It's through accepting what he did on the cross, accepting him as Lord, as King, bringing ourselves, allowing him to bring us into his family. And then it's like we're adopted and we are, it's like that banner of perfection is over us. And it's not because of anything we did. It's not that we've earned that status. We've accepted the gift of that status. And so I think that's so it's so important to bring that out. But I think I think what the world struggles with is they're not thinking in those terms. They don't even understand that. And so they see Christians preaching to the world. Hey, be holy, be righteous. First of all, they're like, what do those words even mean? Like those are biblical words. And second, they're constantly seeing Christians stumble and fall. And that's a big thing that we're seeing right now in deconstructionist circles on social media. Is there any article about a pastor that has a moral failing and even just personal stories about like, I I know this Christian who's in my circle of friends and they're always preaching about this, but they're a liar or they're a cheat or they're an adulterer or something. And so the world right now, like they're just looking at Christians and saying it doesn't add up, guys. Like you're saying be holy, you're saying be perfect, but you guys are screwing up all over the place. And so how would you encourage like as a pastor, how would you encourage Christians to actually represent Jesus well in the world and deal with this this accusation of hypocrisy? with honesty and
0: integrity? Yeah, 100%. Great question. And the answer is that we lead by repentance and our repentance is public. Mm. I mean, this is something we Mm. see even in the public sphere right now is that people who are not Christians, but have been uh, caught doing things that they shouldn't have done, they, you know, their public repentance is very meaningful. And it's all the more true Mm. with Christians. We should be the first to admit when we're wrong. We should be the first. Yes. It's not like a secret, right? Like this is the whole basis <laughs> of following Jesus. It's a lifestyle of, of seeking a higher standard, failing to live up to that standard and not pushing it under the rug, but just publicly saying, I have failed again, but, yeah. and I want you to know it and I'm sorry, and I'm going to receive God's forgiveness and I'm going to work to earn your trust back, etc. And it's just pursuing, you know, I had a friend and I consider him a mentor. His name was Greg Opin. And Greg, Mm. you know, was our leader of Calvary Chapel in Hungary uh, when I first moved there. And I remember hearing Greg say this. I can't even remember where we were when he said it, but it's stuck, it's burned into my mind. Greg said this. He said, he was talking about following, you know, the verse where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, so Greg says, look, if you would follow me around for even just one day you would be incredibly disappointed. Like you would be like, oh my gosh, he just messed up that. I can't believe he did that. He goes, you would be so incredibly disappointed. He says, but then you would be so incredibly impressed because you would see me get on my knees and confess my sins and ask for forgiveness Mm -hmm. from God. You would see me go out and seek reconciliation with those whom I harmed. And whenever I've mm-hmm. told that story to people, it just seems so basic and so obvious. But everybody I say that to, they resonate with it and they say, yes, I could respect somebody who, who would do that. And, yeah. I, and I think that's where we need to be. So we are the first to admit that we have failed and we are the first to um, repent and to carry out that process of reconciliation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we have been reconciled to God through Christ, and therefore we become agents of reconciliation in the world, meaning that we seek reconciliation with those we've harmed, and we seek to reconcile people and things both to
1: each other and to God. That's good. I love that imagery of reconciliation, and it just makes it makes me think of how so often we're fighting the wrong war, and we're trying to fight the culture and Prove to the culture that we're superior and that Christianity is better than anything they could come up with. And yet by doing so, by employing the tactics of the culture, which is what we're doing, like the world has become so combative. It's all about us versus them. It's all about trashing your opponent, putting your opponent down, mocking your opponent, propping yourself up, elevating yourself up as the solution, as the only true way. And for those of us as Christians, we do believe that we are the solution. We do believe that we are the only true way. That is very true. But what the world, I think, is craving right now, even though they wouldn't admit it, is people are craving humility. They're craving non-combativeness, but, and instead they're craving someone who will be honest with them. And being honest means being honest about yourself and your own failure, and I think there are many here in the West and in America where they have this vision of like, we just have to get this American Christian culture back where Christianity is on top and it's accepted and everybody is supportive of it. And and everyone thinks it's great. And it's it's like th- that's a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. <laughs> it's it's you know, insane that it ever happened in the first place, considering how offensive Christianity is to the powers of darkness. But for for us, the goal should be to model, I think, look at Jesus, like he led with humility. He was the king who humbled himself. And it was that humility that attracted, it was power with humility, meekness with humility. He had so much strength, so much to say, so much truth, but he humbled himself. And Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. He wasn't a sinner. He was the perfect one. For us, though, like we, we have so much to repent of. And I i have found that to be so true i've had non-christian friends say to me you know aaron you're you're the only christian that i want to talk to because you're honest and you're honest about the failings of christianity you're honest about the and and i'm not talking about the failings of the religion i'm not talking about how jesus failed jesus didn't fail i'm talking about the failures of us as christians as the church historically things that we've done that have wrecked our reputation they'll say you know aaron you're actually honest about that And that, that actually makes me more interested in what you have to say about Mm. Jesus. That makes me, that doesn't push me away. It's the thing that pushes me away is when people just make excuses for the failings, when they make, when they, when they try to justify it, when they try to say, oh, it's not as bad as, you know, those secular people are saying, it's the honesty that people find refreshing and it, it actually makes them, it allows you to have the liberty to say, hey, yes, I failed. Yes. My church failed. Yes. My pastor failed. Yes. Yes. My denomination failed or whatever. We failed in this way. But actually, this was the standard that Jesus set and we didn't meet it. And just because we didn't meet it doesn't invalidate this standard in who Jesus is. Let me tell you about him and and, and let me tell you about how, how sorry I am that I didn't live up to that standard, but I'm trying every day to do that. And he gives me power through the Holy Spirit to do that. And He can he can give that to you. And I think that draws people in so much more than just constantly just pointing out everybody's sin and acting like you don't have any.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, one thought I would have for those people who say that, that you know, I don't want to be around church. Maybe they say, OK, I'm not giving up on Jesus but I just don't want to be Mm -hmm. around church because those people are awful and hypocritical and et cetera. To that person, here's what I would say in that same passage in uh, first Peter chapter two. So we already talked about verses one and two, but let me also point Mm -hmm. out verse four where Peter tells these Christians who, by the way, themselves were acting as hypocrites. He tells us, he tells them, okay, come to the word, you know, grow in the Lord, become mature. But then he says, and come to him, Jesus a living stone Mm. Mm. rejected by men but in the sight of god chosen and precious so there he says that and you say okay cool i'm good with coming to jesus but here's what he says in verse five he says that we as christians we are now also living stones that god is building up into a spiritual house and a new temple Okay, so so how does this have anything to do with hypocrisy? Because actually Peter's alluding to a story, which is really interesting. And the story is the building of the temple. And here's what happened when the temple was built. We read about it in the Old Testament. But also, even if you go there yourself, you can see the Western Wall. And the thing about the Western Wall that's so amazing is, you you know, you put these little prayer pieces of paper in there. But the stones are so tight that you can't even barely slide them in. And the reason is they actually built the the temple walls without mortar. They cut the stones so precisely that they just slid right into place. But they cut them by hand. And here's the thing. No matter how precise you are, and they were very precise, by the way, those stones would not have been perfectly smooth. The way that they ended up sliding into place was that as they slid into place, whatever rough edges still existed were knocked off by the rough edges on the other stones, and in that way, they fit together. So in other words, there's this picture. We come to Jesus, and yet we are stones, and we are being fit together. We don't just come to him alone, but we come to him together, and here's what happens. Your rough edges are going to bump up against the rough edges of other people, the things that... you that, you notice in other people that are hypocrisy those things guess what they're going to bump up against you but as they do they're going to wear off your rough edges and in the process Mm. God is fitting us together and making us into something bigger than just ourselves
1: Mm. that's really really good Nick You know, something that's in my mind that I'd want to ask you based on this conversation if you're open to it is is there has there ever been a way that you were struggling with hypocrisy you know at some point in your life even as a pastor even in ministry was there ever a point where you know it became it became aware to you that you were being hypocritical in some way and and if so, how did you work through that? And was it hard to work through that?
0: Yeah, I can think of a couple occasions. I'll give you a few examples. One was that I was in Hungary and I was working in this refugee camp. And I had some other guys who worked there with me who were just from the church. And there's this point where I was just like, you know what? There's this guy. He is just a waste of my time. Like, I don't have time for this. And then I, I went to church that evening, it was Monday night, I taught a Monday night study. And so I had this guy come to church and he had been with me in the camp with this particular person. And I talked about how, you know, we should be long suffering towards people and whatever. And this guy came up to me afterwards and he's like, yeah, that was good and stuff, but you're not actually doing that. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, you're right. And it's just that, that admittance, like, man, you know what, there's no point in trying to defend myself. Like, what? how dumb is that when we try to defend ourselves? I just look at people, whether they're Christians or not, just trying to defend themselves when they, even if, even if there is some nuance to it and they say, well, actually, you know, it's kind of like this or whatever, man, Mm. don't do that. Don't defend yourself. Just, just take it. Right. And Mm. there's actually a verse that's really interesting and I believe it's first Corinthians seven. In fact, I'm sure it is where Paul's talking about Christians suing each other. (laughs) He's like, Hey, (laughs) knock it off. And then he says, (laughs) Oh, why? He says, can't you just, can't you just be offended? Like, Mm. why is, isn't that okay? And I think that that's what I would tell a lot of Christians out there. Yeah. Somebody did something. It offended you. Can you just be okay with that? Like, can you absorb that offense? Because that's what it means to forgive. It means that Mm -hmm. you're not going to make that person pay because Jesus already paid for that sin. And so I'm Mm -hmm. just going to absorb it. Okay, here's another instance. Actually, I I forgot what my second one was. Oh, I know what it is. This is more recent, (laughs) quite recent, Okay, where, you know, I I was confronted on the fact that I was just being super unkind to certain people. Mm -hmm. People on my staff, you know, that I was just, Mm. my tone was harsh and that generally, you know, like in our conversation today, I'm talking about how I'm just so kind <laughs> to people who disagree with me <laughs> unless they are my direct reports on my staff. And then I'm just a huge jerk. Mm. And that was mm. one of those ones where initially my response was to defend myself. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I just going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to seek to, to follow Jesus and take my own advice that I would give to somebody
1: else. Mm, it's really good, man. I think I, I love that, you know, and I wasn't trying to give you like an opportunity to set yourself up as, as the hero of the story. But I think what you did is, you know, you, you revealed Jesus as the hero because you're showing this very real nature that we all have and you're being honest. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about. That need for honesty. I, I think it's so interesting because You know, so many of us in ministry, we grow up looking up to these big name pastors who have these massive platforms. What I've just seen over and over again is these guys get into trouble for things like exactly like what you said, mistreating their staff. That's, there's been a few big name guys that, you know, I'm sure that their rudeness was a million times worse than whatever yours was. But the culture kind of creates this, this idea of propping yourself up as the hero and then when you make a mistake, it's like, don't back down, don't apologize, don't give in to the mob or whatever. And, and and there's there's no modeling of humility. It's all about protecting your platform and protecting your image that you've crafted of yourself as this perfect, you know, leader. And I think that when we look at the model that Jesus gives us, it's, it's always humility. It's servant leadership. And again, you know, Jesus didn't ever have anything to apologize for. But he he sure taught his 12 disciples (laughs) to apologize, to forgive one another, to show grace to one another, to be honest about their mistakes and failings. I I had this pointed out to me a while ago, and I thought it was great. I I love the New Testament because the writers of the New Testament are so honest about their Mm -hmm. failings. like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're writing about peter just being an absolute chump you know they're they're writing about you know thomas and they're writing about judas and and they're being honest they're if you were trying to start a religion wouldn't you want to make your founders look like the most amazing spotless righteous people but christianity is a religion where we paint the founders paint themselves as failures and then point to jesus as the perfect one and i think that's 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 the model you know and so I appreciate your humility and that that's a humility that, that I want to have. I, I remember there was a guy I served on and I just thought it was, it was amazing because, you know, uh, him and I, we loved each other, but there was also some clashes at times. And there was times where I, as a very young, sensitive guy, had my feelings hurt. And I remember towards the end of his uh, tenure in ministry, he actually sent a letter to all of our volunteers and was like, hey, if I've ever hurt your feelings, like, can you let me know? I'm trying to grow as a person. And, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of get that stuff off our chest. And I don't know what anybody else wrote, but I I wrote to him about some times that I had my feelings hurt. And, you know, our friendship has only gotten better and better and stronger through the years. And I think his humility was a great turning point because I stopped seeing him as this person who was modeling perfection. And I saw him as a human who was broken just like me and who was honest about that. And, and that made all the difference. And you know, to me, it wasn't like this is a hypocrite. It's like, no, this is, this is a human who's trying to follow Jesus. And, and I think all of us at some points are going to be hypocrites. And I think that being honest about that. Is the key to I, I think that needs to be a major shift in Christianity here especially in America I think we need to move from this combative Christianity and move to more of a humble Christianity I think that's going to make a huge difference in in winning people to the Lord yeah and if,
0: if I could just give a plug here at the end our yeah go for it our CGN Calvary Global Network conference theme this year is gospel culture and so I'm honored to be asked to kick off the conference. And so I've been thinking a lot about the topic and the, the idea of gospel awesome. culture is, you know, we've got gospel doctrine, but what kind of people does our culture of our churches that we create, what kind of cult, what does it mm. shape us into? What does it make us like? And what mm. should it make us like? And I remember when I took over the church here at Whitefields, the previous pastor, he told me, he said, Above everything else, just guard the culture. He wasn't worried about me going off the rails doctrinally. He said, you need to guard the culture. that's your main job as the as the pastor. And so I I didn't know what that meant in the beginning. I, I had no idea, but I kept that thought in my mind because I thought someday I want to understand what that means. And I think I've got an idea now, and I think the idea is what is the tone? you know what is our what is our way that we interact with each other? How do we live out Christianity mm. among ourselves in the way that we, we treat each other and the vibe that exists when you walk in the door, you know, is this a place where when mm. you walk in the door, you breathe a sigh of relief, or is it a place where you walk in the door and you're filled with anxiety? And we want to make this mm. a place where not only do we believe true things, but we, we express the culture of the gospel, you know, it's mm. a culture of grace and a culture of kindness and love.
1: I love that. So good, Nick. This has been a great conversation, man. I really appreciate it. And for any of you guys listening, whether you are currently battling hypocrisy yourself, which if you're normal, you probably are, or maybe you're struggling with seeing other people as hypocrites and and dealing with it. I, I hope that this conversation has helped you wrestle through that. I hope that it's given you some insight And just know that we're praying for you. Those of you who listen, we're praying for you that Jesus would help you on your journey and walk with him. And I think for those of you guys listening, uh, check out Nick's book, The God I Can't Believe In, right? That's the the title. The God I
0: Won't Believe In.
1: Won't. The God I Won't Believe In. Uh, You can buy that on Amazon. That's right. And you
0: can find it also on my website, nickkady.org. So N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Theology for the People. I'll be back with you next week with a really interesting episode featuring Christy Anya Buile. Christy wrote a book called Literarily: How Understanding Bible Genres Transforms Bible Study. We have a really interesting conversation. Where we actually get into some examples of Bible verses and Bible passages that can be interpreted incorrectly if we don't understand the genre. We talk about how genre fits into inductive Bible study method. So really interesting and important discussion, not just for people who teach the Bible, but for anybody who reads the Bible. It's super important that we understand what it is that we're reading, how it's intended to be understood by God. And so that discussion is really valuable. I hope you'll tune in next week for that one with Christy Anyabuile. This one was good with Aaron, and I really appreciate everything he's doing. So go check out his work over at the Good Lion Podcast Network at goodlion.io. And of course, check out what he's doing at calvarychapel.com. So until next week, God bless you.